What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a lovely day. This is episode 7 of the And One Podcast, and thank you for checking it out. Me and Sammy were joined by Mr. J, the infamous Mr. J from West Heights today, and it was a ton of fun. He had a lot of great things to say, and I think you'll really enjoy it. As always, before we jump in, just have to say, if you think you'd be good on this podcast, or you know somebody you think you'd be good on this podcast, let us know. Podcast email in the description, and podcast instagram in the description so you can let us know there give us a follow on your way over thanks with that being said fellas get comfortable relax and enjoy peace all right we're live sam you want to tell us who's joining us yeah um we're here today with mr j many listening know many listening know him as um west height basketball coach just a really really good coach one of my favorites do you want to explain sure what you do and why you sure here? yeah Just say hello yeah first first of all guys thanks for having me on this is great i'm i'm excited i've not been asked to do a podcast before so this is my first uh first go around with it and um it's um uh, you know uh, flattering that you guys would ask me to to join you um yeah, uh, so just a, a little bit about me quickly. Uh, as Sammy mentioned, I'm uh, the phys ed teacher at, at West Heights School. I've been there for, oh my God, 25 years now. It's crazy that it's been that long. But um, uh, yeah, I, I love it. And, um, you know, I, I went to West Heights when I was a kid too. So I'm kind of back home. Uh, my mom still lives down the street. So I can check in on her from time to time uh, after school. And um, I just love being in the community and, and being part of uh, part of West Heights and uh, just love working with the kids year in, year in, year out and, um, you know, especially coaching teams, which has been kind of tough in the last couple of years with the pandemic. We haven't had an opportunity to uh, to really have many, many sports. So we're a little bit in withdrawal right yeah, now. How's, but how's that been affecting you? Man, I tell you, it's been really, really difficult. I mean, as the phys ed teacher, I mean, that's that's the thing that really drives me that that you know, I love and I, I look forward to each and every day. Not that I don't look forward to the teaching aspect of things. I do. I love that as well. But, um, you know, taking a group of kids, uh, whether it be in basketball or football or track and field or what have you, um, is such a, a neat thing to be able to do. And not having that is really, um, you know, it's been tough. And not just on, on me, but um, the kids too. I mean, there's so many yeah. of them that, that, just love being part of a school team like that and I've been looking forward to to maybe you know being on the team in grade seven and eight and now are, are missing out so it's it's been tough uh yeah and so like what have you guys been able to do like like how limited are you guys well yeah I mean pretty much zero in terms of extracurricular sports not right. happening um teaching phys ed I mean that's tough too. I mean, we, we came back in the fall this year and, you know, the, the rules that we've been given in, in the phys ed uh, um, aspect of things is, I mean, they can't touch any equipment um, and then share it with anybody else. So you can't, you can't pass a ball back and forth. They're not allowed to touch the, the gym floor with their hands. Are they allowed um, to play with gloves? I know that some people at KCI were doing that. 
Yeah, no. I mean, they they can, but they there's still no excuse me, no sharing of of equipment. So we've had wow. to be really, really, really creative with how we run our classes and to make it fun for those kids. Um, you know, without being able to play a game or to have a partner and and you know work on a on a skill like. Uh, throwing a football back and forth or volleying or passing a, a volleyball that kind of thing um, it's been it's been a real challenge and and now you know we're we're all online so it's even now more difficult being at home trying to teach um, you know online to kids and teach phys ed online um, it's God, been I can only imagine yeah it's been tough but at the same time you know we've had to be very creative and um, it's amazing what you can come up with if you put your mind to it and in terms of, hey, what could we do in this virtual environment now that we're living in? And, you know, the, the kids are, are buying in for the most part and, you know, they understand that it's not ideal right now, but this will pass and we'll get through it. And hopefully before we know it, we'll be back uh, to business as usual. So. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the most creative you guys have gotten? Have, has there been like maybe oh. a creative spin on a game you're used to playing, or like yeah. even a new game that was invented? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny you say that. Just uh, you know, that it came out this uh, this week or last week. It's been passed a- around a lot of the phys ed uh, teachers in the in the area and in the province for that matter. It's a Monopoly game where we share the Monopoly screen on. Um, on the computer and the kids can see it and you move the pieces around and instead of the squares being properties they're um, different activities that they have to do as they land on the different squares so that's sort of one way that um, you know we're mixing in some sort of virtual activities with you know direction from myself as the phys ed teacher and we've been able to play as large groups um, but we've also split them into smaller groups and and they've been able to kind of play in groups of four and it's a little more intimate that way, but uh, yeah, I mean, things like that um, and people share ideas and uh, my wife's a phys ed teacher as well. So she has a plethora of ideas too that she uses that, that I then will take and sort of use with my kids. Now she teaches younger kids, kindergarten to grade six, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of times I can take her activities and sort of cater it a little bit Spend more to, bit. Yeah, to, the, to the grade seven and eight kids. Yeah, um, I just want to ask you a little bit about your backstory. Sure. I read the 519 article about you that Darren made. Oh, yeah. And uh, he said that you, shout out 519 you played sports. at Forest. <laughs> yeah, shout out 519. Yeah. You played at Forest, multi-sport athlete, and you went to a couple offsets for basketball. Do you want to tell us about your experience with that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up, I, I played a lot of different sports, and it took, you know, it took a while to kind of find what I really loved to do. I mean, I, as a kid, you know, when I was really young, baseball and hockey were my two uh, sports of choice, um, you know, baseball in the summer and hockey in the winter. And then as I got into high school, um, you know, I got into high school sports, mainly because I hadn't grown um, to the point where it would allow me to continue playing high level hockey. Um, I was very, very small. Um, and with body contact and things like that, I just, I couldn't compete with kids that were 60, 70 pounds heavier than me. So I got cut from my all-star team, I think in grade nine. Um, so instead of playing select or house league, I, I decided to try to you know get into school sports. Um, went out for the volleyball team in um, grade nine, got cut from that first cut, I think. Um, so the only, the only hard sport, yeah, the only sport I had left was uh, football. And I figured, well, the football team doesn't cut anybody. 
So, you know, they have to keep me. So I went out to, to for the football team at Forest Heights. Um, you know, I thought it was really cool. I got all the equipment and stuff. And I my first year, I played three plays all year, three individual plays I played. And one of the plays, I'll remember it vividly, it was at Gulf Collegiate. They threw me out there on the kickoff. And I ran down there, and the kid that caught the ball That's went funny. right right through my hole all the way 98 yards for a touchdown. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if it was 98 might, yards. Might, might be a reason see. he only got three. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't do well. But, you know, I was happy I was on a team and just part of a team. And then in grade 10, I, I'd grown a little bit. I learned a little bit more about the game. And um, I was playing um, quite a bit on the defensive side of the ball. Um I played basketball as well. Now, I didn't make my junior team in grade nine. I got cut from that. Jeez, I'm getting cut all over the place. Yeah. Got cut Got cut from that. Played There was a, there was a midget team back then um, for all the grade nine kids that didn't make the junior team. And so I played on that team. And um, luckily, then the next year in grade 10, I was able to make the, the junior team. Um, and back then, there were three-year juniors. I was a three-year junior because I was born in December. So... Um, I think that's one of the reasons probably why they kept me in grade 10 because they knew I had another year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, where I really hit my stride is um, once uh, I hit grade 11, the summer between grade 11 and grade 12, I, I grew about a foot um, during that summer and put on quite a bit of weight. During, and, uh, like, the, the three months? Well, I, I mean, I can't pinpoint it, but it was pretty darn quick. Um, and if that's you talked to if you talk to any of my buddies, uh, they'll attest to the fact that I shot up pretty quick. Could your body was, handle that? Like, uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, I had, I had some knee issues as a result of it, but uh, other than that, it was it was fine. So I went from like being the smallest kid on the team in grade nine and ten to now being six two, you know, and you know, one of the bigger kids. I I, I still was pretty thin, but I wasn't. Uh, wasn't uh, short by any means now so yeah i was seeing a lot more time on the basketball court with the senior team we had a really good team um uh made it to the wixa semifinals my my grade 13 year uh back then there was grade 13 now there's that victory lap year um and uh in football wise i i was um um playing quarterback now I, because i had grown i had a pretty good arm they put me at the quarterback spot Got scouted um, by a, a Laurier scout to uh, come to training camp for them the following year. So and was, was that was that your that. only kind of offer? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, I, I honestly I didn't know what I was going to do after high school as far as sports went. Um, I kind of thought maybe my my sports career was over at that point. Um, but once um, uh, the the Laurier coach spoke to me about football. I was so excited because I thought, man, I'm going to get to play, you know, uh, a competitive sport for another four years at the college level. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, I think I was talking about uh, the, the basketball team at my high school, though. Um, most of my buddies actually did a, another year at Forest Heights. So we all went to grade 13. That was normal back then. Now it's grade 12 and then maybe a victory lap. But um, my buddies all went to uh, grade 14, so they went one more year. So they were pretty. Wow. I mean, a, a I lot of them were. Them. Yeah, a lot of them. We actually had one guy who really was in grade 15, because uh -huh. he was. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he. I think he got left left back. Uh, you know, in in grade three or four or something, 
and uh, so what he was another... like he was he was older than 20 he could have been 21. yeah so <laughs> well no no the so the rule back then was you could play school sports as long as you weren't 20 when the year started and because oh, his my birth... goodness right so his birthday was in december so he turned 20 in december so he was actually yeah he was playing you know um high school basketball and he was 20 so um and and they were pretty good we were all pretty good players and but when you have you know some really good players who are all like 19 years old yeah. in high school um obviously you can do some pretty good things so they went uh, to offsa that year and got bronze at offsa um, I wasn't on that team because I, I went to Laurier after my grade 13 year. I didn't go to a 14th year. Um, but uh, yeah, that sort of ended um, high school basketball for me. So uh, I went to Laurier um, uh, for um, uh, university and I went out for the football team as I was re recruited by uh, that coach that came and saw our football game. And um, I, I love the game of football. Most people think of me as a basketball guy, and, and I do love the game of basketball, and I've sort of made my name uh, in the community uh, as far as a, a basketball coach, but I like football just as much, if not more, and that's something I think a lot of people don't maybe know about me. But um, So I went to training camp at Laurier, and there were nine quarterbacks that came into training camp. Um, by the end of training camp, they had cut down to four quarterbacks, and I was still one of them. So that's pretty good. I mean, I, I had only played uh, quarterback for one year in high school and didn't really know a lot about the position. But what um, was what was kind of like the environment of a training camp with so many so many guys in the same position as you? Yeah, I think it was I mean, it's a little more comfortable for me because it was in town. I, I was still like it would have been more intimidating, I think, if I went to like Western or somewhere else that you put was it all, on the line. Yeah, and it, it was a you know a long way away from home. I mean, I still had my buddies around me, and um, I had a couple other buddies from Forest Heights that went to Laurier and also played football. So I had some friends that I knew that were um, going out for the football team as well. Um, but I loved it, and um, like I said, I, I was still um, a quarterback at the end of training camp. After they had cut down to four, I was dressing every other game as a as a first year player, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a great first year. Um, once uh, football was was over, though, I thought, man, I'd, I'd love to play basketball here, too. I went and talked to the basketball coach. and I said, is it still possible for me to try out for the team? Now, they had already been training for six weeks um, because I was still in, in football. Um, but he said, you know what, why don't you come out and, and see what you can do? And um, you know, if, if you're good enough, we'll, we'll keep you around and you'll probably be a sort of a red shirt for the first year and maybe not play much, but, uh, yeah, come on out. So I went out for the basketball team as well when football was over and they kept me around, <laughs> uh, didn't play or dress much my first year, which, what, okay, what position, but, uh, did they have you? Yeah. Had? So I was like a, a three man. I mean, back then, I mean, it's changed a little bit in terms of what you call the different positions now in basketball back then it was you know it was all numbers right so one was your point guard two is your shooting guard or your off guard three was like a guard forward four was your power forward and five was your big man so, uh, like, a so shooting like a forward or yeah but i wasn't i wasn't a great shooter to be honest um what i did well i think was i was kind of like a grinder uh, i played play good defense tough d and um you know i, I was pretty scrappy under the boards i get some rebounds and loose balls and things like that and that's that's where i sort of ex excelled um so 
you know, going into second year, I go back to football training camp, and um, there's a kid that they brought in named Billy Kubis, uh, who was a quarterback um, who was highly recruited, and he was a freshman, and, and he ended up starting as a freshman um, for the Laurier uh, football team, and I was in my second year, and now I'm behind a guy who's younger than me. So the, the coach brought me in and said, I, I think we'd like to move you to slot back, and I didn't really want to do that. It's like a receiver position, right? And I didn't see myself as, as a receiver. I saw myself as a as a quarterback. And I said, tell you what, I'm not going to move from quarterback. I'll compete for the spot. And if you're going to cut me, you can cut me, and that's fine. But I'm, I'm going to stay at quarterback. So I stayed there, and, and they kept me around. But I wasn't starting, and, and uh, Billy was. Um, and so I decided to, to not continue then with the football team. So I quit football and just focused on, on basketball. Um, had a really good second year with basketball. Um, was seeing quite a few minutes with the, with the team. And uh, then my last two years at Laurier, I would just, I continued to play basketball and, and that was it. In hindsight, I kind of regret not taking up the coach and the offer to move to the receiver spot. Um, I, I think I could have excelled pretty well, even though I wasn't a fast runner. I feel like I can get open in, in space and um, pretty decent hands and understand the game. So um, I kind of regret that because I did really love football and they ended up uh, winning the Vanier Cup uh, a year after that, which is you know like the national championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, the, the quarterback that was starting, Billy, who was the, uh, the kid that was younger than me that was starting, ended up winning uh, what's called the Heck Creighton Award, which is like the Heisman Trophy for Canada. Um, so I, I kind of regret that, but I don't regret, um, playing basketball for four years. I made some great friendships and relationships. Um, my final year at Laurier, I was, I was uh, named team captain and, uh, at the end of the year was also named MVP of the team at Laurier. So I, I did have a, have a good career there and I made some great friendships and, um, uh, some that, you know, are, are still, you know, strong today. So. Yeah, no matter who we get on when they're talking about sports, they inevitably mention the uh, kind of bonds, friendships they make. And generally, yeah. it's that it, even if everything else is kind of, <laughs> even though all the walls come crashing down, it's still what they got left. I was just wondering right. before, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to try and ask about how um, specifically you got on your job now. But uh, I wanted to ask, during your playing days, was there ever a time, I mean, you talked about, you know, getting venture um, or just not winning at the starting job as a quarterback. I was wondering if there was ever a time where you were a starter, you were supposed to be starting, you're supposed to be playing, but you got benched for another reason. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it inevitably happens when you're in sports. I mean, coaches make some decisions that way. I mean, I remember back in my yeah, like second maybe a time that sticks out to you. Yeah, second or third year university. I mean, I I had a stretch there where I was starting quite a few games, and um, then I really wasn't wasn't performing uh, as well as I, I should have been. And, and, you know, coach sat me down and I lost my starting job for, for, you know, I think the rest of the season. Um, so that was kind of tough to deal with, but um, the more I coach now and the more I'm into coaching, you know, as mad as I was at the time or as upset I was, as I was at the time, you know, coaches decisions are, are valid and they're for a reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I There was no personal vendetta or anything against me. And I think a lot of kids these days think it's easy. It's easy to make yourself think that. 
yeah, if the coach benches me, like doesn't like me or this or that. And it's not that. It's just, hey, you're not performing right now. You got to get better. Um, and I think sometimes kids, you know, um, get upset with that instead of sort of looking at looking in the mirror and going, well, what can I do to make myself better to get me back to the position that I'm hoping to, to, to be in, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess now you kind of had the player's point of view, you had the coach point of view. Do you think benching is, is, um, is used, like, do you think it, the effect of benching somebody is more of a motivation or is it more like de-urging? Uh, yeah, it can. Yeah. I think as a coach, you, you really have to be cognizant of, of how the kids are feeling. Um, I think it's easy as a kid, as a coach to, um, just focus on results and, and performance. But, uh, the more I coach, the more I realize you really have to get into the psyche of each kid. And some kids will respond to that. Some kids, you know, if you bench them, they're going to fight back and say, I'm going to, no way I'm going to lose my starting job again. And once I get back in there, I'm going to show them what I can do. And, uh, you know, they, they fight back and other kids might, you know, really become more reserved and withdrawn and it can really demoralize them. So I think you have to follow up with the kid. I, I think you really have to have a good knowledge uh, of your players to understand what works best for each kid um, to get the most out of them. Yeah. And then, um, how eventually did you kind of get into coaching? Um, okay. What, yeah. what was that transition like? Yeah. Um, once I was done, um, uh, at, uh, at Laurier, uh, a buddy of mine and myself, um, we, we really didn't know what we wanted to do, what the next step was in our lives. And I kind of knew I wanted to go to teacher's college, but, um, in the meantime, we thought, well, you know, what can we do that we love to do that's going to drive us, maybe make a little money doing. So uh, we started a, a basketball camp, a, a clinic, actually, called the Varsity Basketball Clinic. And um, it actually just ended um, with the pandemic uh, um, last spring. No way. I, to- I totally went to that when I was like eight. And I remember absolutely nothing except like one drill we did in the movie we watched. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we no, watched, no, we, watched the, we watched the uh, cut. We watched Thunderstruck, the Kevin Durant Thunderstruck. movie. Kevin Durant. And, and, uh, and, Thunderst- and you know what? So one one of my one of my best buddies. Uh, he is a, um, a Houston. Sorry, no, he's a Oklahoma City Thunder fan to this day because he saw that movie. So, oh, is that right? So oh, that's, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Well, yeah, that's how yeah. that ended. Well, yeah. So let me, I'll just talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so, totally. um, the, the guy that I ran it with, he was a friend of mine from Forest Heights. We played basketball together there and he ended up going to Western and play, playing at Western. Um, and we started this little clinic, um, that was on the weekends and, and brought kids in and, um, it was a lot of fun and, and we did it for a couple of years and then he moved out to California to pursue a teaching career out there. And uh, I just kind of kept it going, and it, it had, I, I kept it going for 27 years. Um, so it's pretty pretty crazy that it's 27 years later. But uh, um, yeah, no, it just ended because of the pandemic, and um, who knows, maybe I'll resurrect it again once the gyms reopen. But um, right now, no plans to do that. But that sort of springboarded me into coaching a little bit. I loved working with kids. Uh, I love the game of basketball. Um, from there, I also um, started coaching in the community with the KWYBA, 
Um, so I coached uh, an all-star team there for uh, seven or eight years, I guess I was involved in that. And that's really what um, got me into high level sort of basketball coaching. Um, we had a couple really, really good teams. And I, there's, I mean, the kids on those teams, even today are still really, cl- we're really close. Um, I, I communicate with them regularly. Um, you know, they're all like 30, 35 years old now. Um, but it was really a special time. We got to, um, with one of those teams, I, I took them um, when they were in grade seven, I started with them and then I followed with them all the way until they were in grade 12. So I had pretty much the same group of kids um, for about five years. Um, they, uh, most of them went to KCI for you guys and, and they won, man, they won, I think four Wixes in a row, four Kawasas in a row. So this they is were, tying things in, right? Cause Whitey would have had them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Whitey. Then, yeah. And yeah. Then, Whitey um, would... is we, we had, uh, uh, we had, we had Nick, uh, Sarich on from, or Sarich on from oh, oh, yeah. next to yeah. basketball. And does he tie into this? I think he said he knew. Oh, yeah, no, Nick. Uh, Nick has has been my right hand man. Nick Sarek has been my right hand man at, at varsity for the last three or four years. Um, you know, I do some of the instructing, but he was kind of my main instructor for the last three or four years with varsity. So we're, we're getting um, the uh, varsity basketball cinematic universe on the on the podcast. <laughs> it sounds like. yeah. There you go. And yeah, Nick White, uh, you know, he's been a KCI forever, and he he definitely would know a lot of the guys that I'm speaking of. But uh, with that group of kids, I mean, we went um, to the Final Four of the province, uh, the OBAs, um, twice with those guys, and that was the top division. And now, back then, it wasn't like it is today. Like now, most of the kids in Toronto, a lot of them go to prep schools, a lot of them uh, they have these super elite teams that play in yeah. like their own little divisions. Yeah. Back then, back then it wasn't like that. The best players played for their, um, you know, their their city organization, and it was incredible basketball. Think it should we be went, like that. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it, it's it's there's pluses and minuses in terms of the development of super super um, Canadian basketball talent they're doing it right right now um but in terms of competition and a community uh, like a provincial community of basketball it was i think more exciting back then because you had the best kids in the province all playing in for this one competition um i remember we played in in a tournament in toronto we played a, a team called the scarborough um scarborough roadrunners and they were comprised of pretty much much the entire Mother Teresa team who the previous year won Offsa by 30 in oh, the final. They, they won by 30 in the final and yeah. they had all the Mother Teresa guys plus um, you know a few other super all-stars from um, the Scarborough area and we went down there and beat them by 15 or 20. Um, we had a very very good team and um, they played so well together and they, they were such, such great kids. And that's really what drove um, and, and developed my, my love of coaching basketball. Um, I actually followed a couple of them that played on that team, um, went to the University of Waterloo and, and played basketball at the University of Waterloo. And I followed them there 
and was the assistant at the University of Waterloo with Tom Kieswetter for four years while they played. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, really what, what stoked my, yeah. my real love for, for, for coaching basketball. Um, the other thing, too, I mean, I don't know if you guys, there's a, there's a show on TV right now that documents the uh, Orangeville Prep um, basketball team. I don't know if you saw it. It's called... Uh, it's on ad uh, for it, I think. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Uh, the first episode was on last week. Um, but you, you guys are familiar with Orangeville Prep, right? Yeah, yeah. Jamal Murray um, one, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. So the guy that, that runs that program uh, and started that whole program played at the University of Waterloo while I was coaching. So I coached him um, at the University of Waterloo. And then when he was done, he started that program, which so is now. So you're building a little like coaching tree then. Well, no, I'm not. Listen, I'm not, not taking credit credit for that. I, I'm just saying, you know, how how great it is to see the development of basketball here in Canada, and it's becoming, you know, globally accepted as this is a real hotbed for for basketball talent. But uh, yeah, so that kind of springboard, and of course, you know, um, coaching at West Heights, I mean, it's as exciting for me as as the city stuff was. I mean, certainly it's not near the level. But I don't think you need need the level to really drive your love of coaching. In some respects, coaching at West Heights for me is maybe more um, um, meaningful because you're taking kids who have very little basketball experience and expertise and hoping to take them, you know, a long way within the game. And, and a lot of kids maybe that they'll that'll be their first sort of experience with basketball. And if you can make it a positive one. It could springboard them to, you know, continuing to play in high school and maybe beyond and, and at the very least developing a love of the game of basketball. And that's what I really love about coaching at West Heights. Yeah, it's more um, than just developing skill at that age, right? Yeah. The other thing about West Heights, and I've had opportunities to, you know, move up to high school. And I, I always thought I wanted to do that and coach at high school um, because of my experience with the, the Viper, the KW Viper program and, and coaching those kids when they were in grade 11 and grade 12 and coaching that age of kid. Um, so I've had opportunities to move up to high school and coach there. Um, one time I was, man, I was 98% out the West Heights door gone. And then at the last second decided against it. Um, Why? I'm really, yeah, I'm really Got glad I did. Or? No, yeah, it was. It was a gut decision. I talked to my wife about it, and um, I just didn't feel 100% um, committed to it. Um, the thing with being at West Heights versus a high school is, um, at West Heights, I, I get to work with kids who play other sports. I mean, when you go to high school, a lot of kids that, especially are high-level athletes, they start to really specialize in yeah. the sport and that, that's all they do you get right? you get coaches uh telling kids to just play the the one sport that they're good at so that they True. don't get injured and stuff yeah and, AAA and can't even play at basketball or anything like that exactly so at west heights i mean you think of all the kids that play triple a hockey they still play basketball at, at at school they still play touch football at our school we uh, we have a touch football league so they still play those things until they get to high school and then they just stick with that one sport. So I've gotten to know kids um, that I would never have gotten to know in, in high school because of that specialization. 
they still play the sport. So right now, I mean, we've got two kids currently in the NHL that played on my basketball teams and my football teams at, at West Heights. Nick, Nick um, Hag would have been one yeah, of them, right? Sure. Nick got an for, assist the for, other night for, I saw. For the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, this is rookie year, right? That well, uh, that's or right. I think he, he played a little. Year. Yeah, he played a little bit last but year. Yeah, keep and, an eye and, open if anybody listens. Yeah, no. Um, so I saw he got an assist the other night. So so he played all the sports at, at West Heights, and um, Tanner Pearson's the other one, um, who now plays for Vancouver, um, Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, and I still keep in, in touch with him, and we try to get a golf game in every every summer, and. Uh, so I mean, you don't get a chance. You would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a chance to work with a kid like that at high school because they'd be specialized at that point. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a question. I, I'm not sure if you've always done it this way, but you have a really unique way for building your teams. Yeah. For a basketball team, which would normally have 15 players, you have tryouts and and 40 people make the team. Do you yep. want to explain how that works and maybe the pros and cons that come with it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, when I first started coaching at, at the school level, I mean, you want to make a name for yourself, right? You want to win. It's all about winning. And I would take a team of 12 kids, 12 kids, right? Um, and, you know, you do your best to win. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the thing that totally changed my thinking on it, um, one year at West Heights, um, we had football tryouts. We had, I don't know, you know, 50, 60 kids come out for the team. And I cut down. I only took, you know, 20-something kids on the football team. And, you know, we had three tryouts, I think. You know, we did a little combine. So they'd do a 40. They'd do an agility run. They'd, you know, throw and catch. And we'd kind of see how they could do I that. They'd play, they'd play a little bit. Um, so we'd cut down then to, to 20 whatever it was, the, the bare minimum, really, that, that we needed. We wanted the best kids only, okay? And then the year continues, and there's a kid that we cut that then on the volleyball team was an incredible, well, incredible volleyball player. Um, played on our basketball team as well. It was an incredible basketball player. Ends up being the athlete of the year at West Ice, okay? Wow. And I cut him. I cut him from the football team. Wow! Because I missed him. I I I couldn't in three days. I realized at that point, how did I miss this kid? So well, just I to re- just just to jump in there. Um, I I got cut first round of cuts in grade eight. Um, football would have been like the same touch football league. Yep. And then, uh, I mean, the <laughs> next year, grade nine. Uh, I mean, I was playing defensive back, like not a very physical position at all. So it wasn't a yeah. huge deal that the game changed over. I won rookie of the year and then I finished yeah. running up for MVP in my grade 10 year. Yeah. And I was like a yeah. first guy to get cut from the I team know. earlier. I, I had that situation too. I had a kid come back and visit at West Heights who I think same kind of thing was voted MVP of his football team and reminded me that I cut him. It wasn't uh, Sammy. He was he no, was bench it MVP. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't Sammy. But I thought at that point I go I I've I've got to find a better way. So and the other thing too is if you take the bare minimum, say you take twelve kids, okay, on a on a on a basketball team, mm-hmm. and halfway through the year, this kid doesn't pan out 
This kid's uh, grades are suffering, and his parents pull him from the team. This kid gets injured. Now you're down to nine or ten guys, and 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 maybe two other kids. You know, mentally they're not uh, invested. They're not great teammates, and now you're stuck with got a half hockey a team. tournament on the weekend. And, yeah, you know. yeah, you got half a team. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take as many kids from now on as I possibly can. Okay, um, so and. and possibly can make work so now with our football team at west heights we take about 50 kids on the team whereas i used to take half of that and on the on the basketball team i'll take about between 30 and 40 okay and here's the thing i tell the kids at the beginning of the season i say even at tryouts i go guys here are the choices i pick 12 of you and 70 of you that are trying out right now are cut or i'll take 40 of you Okay, but there's no guarantee that you will ever uh, put on a uniform or play. You'll have the opportunity. You'll have the opportunity, though, to come to practice, to compete for a spot. Okay, and get to know the guys, develop your your skills. Okay. The other thing too is, you know, if I cut a, a bunch of kids and I only take twelve, I, I'm they feel crushed. safe. I, 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 yeah, they do feel safe. That's that's a great point. Right? There's complacency, but also I could be crushing a kid's dream of, of, of playing basketball at such an early age after what, two tryouts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's insane. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so I've, I've tried to find a way to, to make it work where I can take as many as I possibly can. And you know what the funny thing is? The funny thing is it's made us more successful. You would think yeah. by taking more kids, you'd have a worse team. But because of the no complacency, hey, if you're not pushing it, you're not at practice on time, you're not, you know, um, you know, performing or, or giving it your all, well, there's another kid nipping at your heels, ready to take your spot at any time. Well, yeah, you can yeah. look to the sidelines and say, oh, those are the two players that are waiting in line for my spot, rather than That's just right. seeing nobody and being like, well, I got picked. It's, it's almost right. like a mini farm league at the middle school level. Like, even yeah. uh, if I think back when I played – People like Liam or Aiden, who ended up being starting quarterbacks and MVPs for the team, who knows yeah. if they would have made that team because they're playing on the the B side, just developing right. their skills for that full year. That's right, and and especially with the grade seven kids, I mean, you put them on a team and they go home, you know, um, and, and they tell their parents, "Hey, I made the football team." They go, "Really? You made?" The-? And they're they're just happy to be on the team, right? So then another thing we've done is, is every kid on the team, uh, you know, there's enough um, money in our, our school funds to, um, you know, get a t-shirt for every kid. So, and I mean, t-shirts are cheap, like five bucks, right? And, and, and we can make that, that happen at the school level. And, and as soon as they, they're on the team, they get a shirt that says, I'm on, like West Heights football, football team. And they're their happy to, too. that's right. And we put their names on it or initials and they're happy to be on the team. And maybe they don't play all year, but if they're in grade seven, they've learned the system. They, they're now excited, and now it's their turn the following year, and it's really made our program better. And the same would go with basketball. It do really you does. Think, do you think that was, is something that could maybe work at a higher level, like a university level? Do you think you could take that many people on a basketball team? They kind of do with football. Um, yeah, I mean, the only problem with it, guys, is it's harder. Uh, as I mean, you 
I'm lucky at West Heights that I have other coaches that are willing to give their time to, to do it. So if I had 40 kids on a football team and just me coaching, I, yeah. I couldn't do it. There's you no know. way I could do it. So luckily we have a couple other staff members that, hey, you can take this group of kids down there and work with them. I can work with really what are the starters right now. And the same thing with the basketball team. So I think it all depends on how much um, help and, and how many coaches you have. But um, I don't think there's a downfall to having more kids in the program if they are invested in the program and they're going to bust their tail to make themselves the, the best they can be. And if they don't do that, then it's an easy conversation to go over and say, listen, it, your heart's not in this. You're not pushing yourself. You're late for this. You're not doing your weight training or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to let you go. But at least you've given the kid the opportunity beyond a two-day tryout to, to show really what they're all about, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, yeah. That, that was, I tell you, that was a, a, a really um, big change in my co- my coaching philosophy. Uh, and that really changed the culture, uh, I think, at West Heights um, because there's more kids involved. And it's not like, you know, I'm just an authoritarian making the decisions and these are the kids on the team. I'm giving more kids an opportunity to compete. And I think they appreciate that. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out but at least they've had the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, you're a, you're a football coach uh, who deals, who, and, and I mean, you, you've done coaching with basketball. Mm-hmm. You've done, I mean, you're an everything coach. You've been everywhere, but a lot of where you've been has been with um, kind of younger kids working with coaching children. And something that um, a lot of kids can have trouble with is like attention span, patience, just ability to listen. And so I'm, I'm sure you've had kind of a lot of frustration, um, not like ha- having to be around these people, but like instill ideas, schemes, skills yeah. into them, right? Um, yeah. And so I was just kind of like wondering, from your experience, what have you found is the most effective way to get people to listen? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, or is it still kind of a, a juggling act? Well, it, it's tough. I mean... You know, some kids, they do have a diagnosis, like they have ADHD, it, it's difficult for them. And I think knowing which kids really need some extra support, I'm not going to jump on a kid right away and you know be yelling at them to, to pay attention and listen if I know that that is something that they struggle with and have struggled with for a long time. So it is difficult. Um, I think it's it's more about the culture. I think it it's, um, you know... <sighs> One, one rule that we have with all of my teams is whenever anyone's talking, you must look them in the eye. Okay. And I got that actually from Duke University. Kind of a I respect down, thing. Yeah. So I went down to a coaching clinic at Duke uh, one year. Um, so Coach K was, uh, you know, running this clinic and, and coaches from all over, you know, the U.S. Hold on. It was, run, it was run by Coach K? Yeah. He's a, he's a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he coached the Olympic team and coaches Duke and all that you stuff. Just, you can't yeah. just toss that around. He's yeah, he has a picture <laughs> with him, too. He has a picture with him, oh, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, all right, yeah. keep going. No, I'll tell you a little bit about this. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I went down to the to the coaching clinic at Duke, and 
it was a three-day clinic i think it was so what you got to do is you're it was at right at cameron uh, indoor so you got to go you know into their where they play and um their team was practicing and coach k was mic'd and um you know he would run drills and things with the team and then he would turn to the coaches in the crowd and kind of talk about what drill they were doing and all this kind of thing and um the one thing that really stood out to me was every time he spoke the kids would not move and every eye was on him and he made mention of that he said our first rule when we come when kids come to duke is that we look each other in the eye I mean, so many times when you're talking, whether you're a teacher or coach or whatever, kids are, you know, looking at the floor or they're looking around behind them or whatever. They're not paying attention. So one simple thing like making eye contact focuses their attention on you and and, and really For sure. gra- makes them gravitate to whoever's speaking. So I kind of got that from from Duke. Um, their culture, culture there is, is phenomenal in terms of, how they treat each other, how they speak to each other and interact. And, and I tried to sort of bring that back to, to, to my coaching as well. Um, I spent some time with, with uh, Bobby Knight as well down um, in, in Texas. Um, so Bobby Knight, do you guys know who Bobby Knight is? I've heard <laughs> you the name. Might, you guys might be too young. Might um, be young. So Bobby Knight, I mean, is a very controversial figure, okay? Um, he was Coach K before Coach K. He actually coached Coach K when Coach K was a player, okay? Um, at, at when Coach K went to Army and Bob Knight was his coach. And then Bob Knight uh, was the coach at Indiana University, won three national champion uh, championships there. Um, to this day, he's the last team to go undefeated in the NCAA the entire year and win the national championship back in 1976. Um, he was dismissed. I mean, some of his coaching... Um, his coaching style was very, very abrasive and authoritarian. I mean, he was a yeller. He was a screamer. He crossed the line on a number of occasions. Okay. There is no way that you can coach that way anymore in this day and age. But back then. And especially with grade seven, eights, right? Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) But in terms of basketball knowledge, I mean, he was as again as good as you get. Again, he coached the U.S. Olympic team to gold. Um, you know, won three national championships at Indiana. Um, anyway, so he was dismissed from Indiana for poor conduct. You can do the YouTube research on that if you'd like. Um, and then ended up at uh, Texas Tech University, um, where Patrick Mahomes went uh, in uh, West Texas. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to, uh, I went down there and I worked for him at his basketball camp for a week um, one summer. I thought, you know what, it'd be really neat. I mean, I run my own camp here, but wouldn't it be neat to kind of see how they do it south of the border and where better to go than, you know, Bob Knight, who's the god of basketball coaching as far as I was concerned, um, down in Texas Tech. So um, I went down there and, and um Bob Knight was great. He spoke to the kids each and every day. He, he spoke to the coaches. There was about 20 of us that got to sit in a room with him on a nightly basis and just ask him questions and, and pick his brain a little bit. And that was certainly a great experience for me. Now, again, people listening out there, you hear the word Bob Knight, and you probably a lot of you have negative thoughts of him. 
and probably justifiably so. But there's always a lesson to take, and normally there's there also is. a positive lesson to take. Yeah, and, and believe me, in Coach K, I mean, Coach K is Bobby Knight with with tact and class. You know, I mean, he was taught by Bob Knight. Okay, so I, I feel like I've I've had at least some interaction with some of the the top basketball minds in the U.S. in in Bob Knight and, and Coach K. And as Sammy said, I you know I got my my picture with both of them up in my office. You know, one uh, with Coach K at Cameron Indoor and and one uh, yeah. with Bob Knight at, at Texas Tech. And I'll tell you a story about Coach K. So Coach K, uh, incredible guy. I don't know where he finds the energy to do this, but at that clinic, um, there must have there were hundreds of coaches there, and he did an autograph signing session where you know you'd line up uh, and go in and get you know he said he would autograph two things for you. Um, I had a book. Um, it's called Beyond Basketball, and it, it was you know written by Coach K that I wanted him to sign. Um, so you're waiting in line to go and see him and the line's taking a while. So finally I get up there and I, I'm next in line. I go and you go into a room. It's not like he's just sitting there at a table. You line up and then when it's your turn, you, you go into a room and it's just you and coach K in there. Okay. In the room. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he takes your book, signs Mike Krzyzewski, gives it to you and sends you on your way. That guy He's sitting at a table, okay, in this room. When you come in the room, he gets up out of his chair, walks around the table, shakes your hand, asks what your name is, thanks you for coming to the clinic, sits back down, he goes, what would you like wow. me to sign? You, you, you give him the two things you want to sign. And he doesn't just go, Mike Krzyzewski. He writes you a message. Every person that goes in there gets a message, okay? And his, mm -hmm. to, my, to me, was... Uh, uh, Brad, believe in words. Thanks for coming to the clinic, Mike Shashevsky. And it's you know it's, it's on the book. I I mean, to to have the energy to do that. I mean, he's got bigger things to worry about than than uh, a elementary school coach from Canada wanting his autograph. I mean, he's got a team to prepare, a national championship to compete for. Ninety nine other guys to give autographs right. to. Exactly. So, um, man, what an experience. And, and, you know, it's so much about down there. It's so much about their culture and, and the character of, of the kids in the program. And I, I learned a lot. And I, I tell I tell people, um, you know, people ask me, what's the most valuable thing you, you've done um, uh, as a basketball coach? And I've, I've, again, I've gone to tons of conferences and clinics. I've been to the the Nike uh, coaches clinic in Vegas, like five or six times. And you, you know, so many of the top NCAA coaches and even NBA coaches speaking at those things. How, how do you get into that? What? Who's like yeah, doing all these things? That's what I was well, going to no, ask. So, how do you get all these opportunities? I don't know any other coach that has gone to such good camps. Yeah. Um, so um, every year Nike runs a co uh, coaching clinic and um, it's various locations throughout the U.S. And the odd time there's one in Canada. I did go to one that was in Toronto. Um, but the biggest conference they hold each and every year is in Vegas. Now, I love Las Vegas too. So it's not just about the basketball conference. I kind of combine it with a little bit of a getaway with my wife to Vegas. But, uh, you, know, you know, I say I'm going for the conference. 
But um, yeah, I, I, I've been to that one, I think, four times now. But I mean, it's not like, how do you get in? Anybody can go. If you're a coach, you pay the, pay the, the fee. Oh, it's and, not an invite thing. No, no, it's a, it's you you pay to go and and you know you go and and it's incredible. Like it, it, it's been held at the Orleans Hotel in in Vegas and their their event center there. It's it's like a, I mean it's a it's a huge facility like a almost like an NBA um, arena would be not quite as big, but it'd have a ton of seats. Probably can get five thousand people in there. A beautiful court. All the speed like it's all on court demonstrations. So the coaches will come and. They have a group of like high school and university players from the Vegas area that are there that run the drills that they're showing you. Um, so that's kind of neat. Um, and I, like I said, I've been to that a number of times. But by far, the Duke Clinic was the most valuable thing I've ever done as far as my basketball coaching development goes. And here's the thing. I didn't learn one thing really about X's and O's. It was not about basketball it was all about culture it was all about relationships dealing with people um and it was it was so valuable and you know what the thing is with that clinic that that duke clinic i think it cost me 50 bucks i think it was 50 bucks for the clinic okay so you get three days of coach k talking to you for 50 bucks plus they give you this awesome like nike uh duke nike uh golf shirt um, just for going, um, and you get like a, a clipboard and stuff. I mean, that stuff's worth fifty bucks. And then you throw yeah, in the I fact mean, that you you get to listen to Coach K for three days. I mean, uh, yeah, great experience. Um, probably the best basketball coaching development I've had. And and like I said, it wasn't about X's and O's. I don't consider did, did you my, steal anything from Coach K? Um, again, mostly just. Um, you, you know, you, you get some drill, some drills for sure. Yeah. Um, it's mostly drills. I, I, to this day, I still, there's a, a warm up drill that, that we, we still use that I, I think kind of neat. It's a sort of a three man weave drill, but it's like a full court three man weave. And then you come back and there's, it's not just one ball. There's so that every time there's a trip, there's a, there's a layup and there's two shots that happen. So it, it really increases how many people are involved in the drill. So you pick up some drills and things like that, but more so than that, just the, the culture stuff is, is what you, you really um, take away from, from something like that. Um, yeah. And so when we're talking about um, kind of the dynamic between uh, coaches and players on a team, uh, a, a really interesting dynamic is accountability. And so, I mean, of course, right, the players are the ones executing in a game. They're the ones playing. They're the ones throwing the ball around, dribbling the ball around, shooting. Um, but the coach is also, like, the leader and the coordinator of the team. So, I mean, especially as somebody who's had a lot of experience coaching kids so young, what is your approach to accountability for the teams you coach? Yeah, great, great question. Um, the biggest thing is is getting them invested in the process, I think, and and getting them to care about it as much or more than, than you do. And I, I kind of try to tell my, my teams at the end of the year that, you know, we're all in this together. I'm here to help you. It's not I say you do and that's it. It's how can we be great? How can we make this a great year, something that we're going to remember 10, 20 years down the road as a great memory, right? 
and getting kids to buy into that and telling them this is not going to be easy. We have to work really, really hard. Everybody has to be accountable. Everybody has to want it just as much as the next guy. And if you can do that, then we're all in this together. One thing I've I've really um, took a uh, a real liking to as far as uh, team dynamics is I never choose captains. I never have captains. I, really? I that's, hate, that's very interesting. I hate the idea of captains. Right? Why? I mean, why? why is that? Tell me why, why there's a guy. Why do I want to say to one kid on my team, you're more important than this kid is. You're, you're here and this kid's here. Why do I want to set my kids apart? If we're all in this together, everybody's as important as everybody else. And if you're a leader, you lead. Why do you need me to tell you that you're the captain? If you're a leader, be a leader. Yeah. Right? So I hate that. I hate setting uh, you know, kids apart and saying this person's more valuable or important because you're the captain than than this kid so i've, I've really gone against that um throughout my coaching career and i i think it it really helps develop a, a good sense of we're all in this together we're all as important as each other and we're nobody's equally more accountable important. right exactly exactly yeah um earlier you you talked a little bit about how you you coached four years at a assistant coached four years at uw do you want to talk yep. about that experience and how it was Sure. Um, well, it was, it was very difficult, I'm going to tell you right now, because the time commitment is huge. So, I mean, I, I still, I wasn't going to give up teaching. Um, I did have some aspirations of maybe becoming a head coach at that level um, at some point. But the more I thought about it, the more it really would not make sense ever for me to give up teaching. Um, in terms of, you know, mo- mostly financially, pension-wise, things like that, it just doesn't make sense to do that as much as I would love to, to coach at that level. Um, so, I mean, it is very time-consuming. And I would still coach at West Heights. And, you know, we'd have practice till 4.30 or so at, at West Heights. And then I'd hustle over to, to Waterloo for practice at 6 or whenever we had practice. Um, practice typically an hour and a half maybe a little bit more but then you got film so you're watching film for an hour and oh my god and then you know I get home at nine o'clock haven't eaten supper yet haven't seen my wife Um, I still have to plan my next day for school I mean it was really hard how is that compared to the uh, like to to your current um, kind of like amount of time spent uh, commitment I guess well, yeah, I mean, I, I still commit, I think, a lot. Of, and obviously now with COVID, not as much. But in, in a regular normal, year, yeah. Yeah, in regular circumstances, I'm, you know, we're, we're coaching until 4.30 after school. Plus, you know, as Sammy can attest, we have a lot of meetings during the day as well. Yeah. Um, for Especially for football because, you know, we do still watch film in, in grade 8, believe it or not, with football. Um but, uh, yeah, so you can add, I mean, between travel time to get to UW and get home, plus the practice time, the film, um, you know, a lot of times after practice, we have to hang around with the coaches and kind of talk about players and what we're doing and stuff. I mean, you can add almost four hours to every day, you know, um, of work. 
and, and you know, not to mention, you know, when you're play, when you're in your season, you know, Wednesday night I'm going to Windsor for for a game. Um, you know, we got to leave at whatever. Sometimes I had to leave school early at, at West Heights and, and and get on the bus to, to go to Windsor, get home at two or three in the morning from Windsor and then have to teach the next day. I mean, it was really, really hard. <laughs> and that's why I didn't, I mean, four years was pretty much my limit and I, I couldn't really mm-hmm. keep going after that. I mean, now, I mean, I, I, I learned all, uh, quite a bit um, being at that level. I mean, I had played at that level, but playing at that level and coaching at that level are two totally different things. And coaching at that level and coaching at like a grade seven, eight level would also be pretty different it's very different, but I'm not going to tell you one's harder than the other. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think I, mean, I would have tried to get that out of you, anyways. I, I'm going to tell you right now. I believe you have to be a better coach to coach grade seven and eight than you do to coach at the university level. Why? Okay. Yeah, you want to make well, the because, argument for that? Well, sure. Because um, at the university level, I mean, kids come in with solid fundamentals. Right. And most of your time, as far as I mean, yes, you're still working. So you're doing some fundamental work. But a lot of times that fundamental work is up to the individual player. They're expected on their own to be in the gym, working on their shot, getting this many shots up, um, you know, working on their ball handling if they're a guard, their post moves, if they're bigs, whatever. Um, so they do a lot of that stuff on their own. And then most of your job as a coach is sort of putting the pieces together. Um, it's a lot of structure and system and plays and schemes and things like that. Whereas at the grade seven and eight level, you've got to focus on the fundamentals first, right? Like you've got to, they've got to learn how to, you know, how to handle the handle the ball, how to do a, a right hand and a left hand layup, um, proper shooting form, defensive stance, defensive footwork, team defense in terms of help and rotation and recovering and all those things. I mean, it you're starting from square one at, at grade seven and eight, whereas a university, they come in with that knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're, you're teaching it to kids who, you know, um, a lot of them, you know, they're still dealing with tension issues and you know, getting them to, to focus. I mean, kids that are at the university level in a varsity sport, most of them have developed the ability to, to focus and, um, you know, really hone in on, on what they're doing. And Part and of the reason why get, they got there. That's yeah. right. So I would argue, you know, you, you kind of have to be more of a jack-of-all-trades anyway um, at the younger age groups. Yeah. Right. And and for for me, I mean, I'm not much of an X's and O's guy, to be honest. I, I that I would say would be my my weak suit in terms of being a basketball coach. Where I feel that I've done okay is getting the most out of kids, developing their fundamentals, um, and that's one thing I learned from Bob Knight at at um, uh, at Texas Tech. I um, one of his quotes I think was something if I can remember. Um, properly said you can either coach with gimmicks and trickery or fundamentals and um, hard work or something like that and that really stuck with me so I, I'm more of a of a fundamental coach um, teach them the basics 
um, and really work on, on developing a, a solid um, foundation of fundamentals and then developing uh, the team to, to cooperate and getting the most out of each kid and making them feel like they're part of it. I think that's, that's what I do better than the X's and O's part for sure. So is that why you have stayed at West Heights for all those years? Because you could have easily, you know, coached at a high school and been yep. able to say, oh, I've won all these offices and all that stuff, but you decided to stay <laughs> at West Heights for your whole career. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, offices aren't really easy. No, offices. I mean, Wixos. Wixos. Well, even, yeah. even Wixos. I mean, there, there's a lot of great, great coaches out there, and, and, you know, a lot of it is – you know, what kind of athletes you have on a year-to-year basis and what kind of culture you've developed at your school. So there's no guarantee that, you know, just going to high school, you're, you're going to win right away. It does take some time to, to develop that culture and a, a winning program. But, yeah, the reason that I stayed is, is because I love working with kids that are, are coming in with not much experience, that just want to learn the game and love the game. And to be honest, my favorite part of coaching is after my coaching is done. Okay, so you, you've worked with a kid, and maybe you, you've lit a little bit of a fire into that kid, and maybe you've developed a love of the game of basketball or football or whatever it is that they continue with, right, after you're done with them. And then you see what they've done, and, and hey, they went on to a great high school career, or maybe they continued to, to play in university. I Actually, tonight I turned on the news. And on the news tonight, I don't know if you guys saw it, but um, there are two kids in the area that are uh, putting out basketball drills online um, for kids to practice their basketball skills. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it. One of, one of the kids is uh, Shadir Tenney, uh, who played at Laurier. And is this on like yeah. Is so, it, and is uh, this on like a YouTube channel or TikTok? Uh, I'm or? not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm guessing they have their own little website or something that that they put these videos out on. I'm okay, if sure. I can find it, I'll put that in the description for anybody's. Uh, yeah. So Shadir and um, Taloy, I believe, is the other uh, kid who went to went to Sunnyside and I believe Eastwood after that. Um, but Shadir um, came to var- to my varsity basketball clinic when he was in grade four or five or six or something. He went to Forest Hill Public School. My mom taught at Forest Hill and, and knew this kid. And there's another teacher um, there that promoted uh, kids from Forest Hill coming to my basketball uh, camp as well. Her name was Barb Hollowack. So between my mom and Barb, they, they told me that Shadir loves the game of basketball and would really benefit from um, as many opportunities as, as he, he could get and, you know, to develop his basketball skills. And, um, I don't believe Shadir's family had, had much money uh, at the time. And, and I mean, we had a fee for our, our clinic, but we um, developed a scholarship program that allowed a few kids each year to come for free. And he was one of the kids. He was one of the kids that, that was scholarshiped and came to varsity. Um, and, and I believe actually one year, uh, Barb probably paid for him to come as well. So it wasn't just me. I mean, it was, um, you know, the teacher at, at Forest Hill that uh, promoted um, him and, and um, you know, um, said that this kid would really benefit from going. And now you see the same kid who came from very, you know, not much in terms of money and uh, support. And now he's giving back to the community and, and providing these online 
uh, drills and skills for kids that's free of charge, you know, and that's what makes me smile. That that maybe I had a little bit of an impact, and he actually talked about it on the news tonight. He said, you know, I want to give back to the community that helped me develop my skills, and you know, he became a really good player at Laurier, and now he's coaching at Laurier as well, and who knows what else he'll do, right? Yeah, and so you know, sometimes these things work out beautifully for us because um, the last question we always ask on this podcast is is why do you do the work that you do? And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you're already answering that question before I've asked it. So I guess I, I guess my uh, rephrasing would be, is that is that what keeps you uh, coming back and sticking with the sport? Is it is it really just being able to see um, the impact of your work? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, is there that, anything the big, you want to add to it? I guess. Yeah, I just I just love the the relationships and the and the time that I I'm able to spend with 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 kids and if they they you know go on to great things that's great some of them do and some of them are successful in other areas of of life but um, you know I just I just love um, seeing what kids do after the fact and and uh, and after we've we've. Uh, finished um, working with them and after they leave West Heights or leave the, the program that I'm, I'm coaching with it, it's such a, a great feeling to just know that maybe you had a little bit of an impact on um, you know what they've become and, and what they do I love again connecting with former um, you know players or, or students of mine who are now grown adults that are you know in their late 20s 30s and they get a uh, you know, a message from them and they say, hey, let's, you know, let's get a round of golf in this summer. And I love that. And I love that. And I love when we get actually get out there and maybe we are golfing, just talking a little bit about, you know, the, the time we were together with the football team at West Heights. And do you remember this game? And do you remember, you know, winning this championship or, or this team beat us that year? And boy, were they good. And that's, that's what, that's what keeps me going. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I think thanks for coming on. That's all. That's that's all the time we're gonna hold you hostage for. And <laughs> hey. yeah, guys, thanks. it was it was an it was an absolute pleasure. And and like I said, this is my first ever podcast. And um, kudos to you guys for for what you're doing and um, you know putting the spotlight on on the, the KW Cambridge area. We certainly got a wealth of of uh, really uh, you know great people here and great coaches and uh super athletes and um thanks for uh you know shining a light on that well thanks for the kind words uh right before we end there's a little um area if you have anything that you want to promote let people know about uh, i'm not sure not everybody does but right um yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of a lot of causes out there. I mean, uh, nothing really to promote, but uh, but you know, local athletics. I mean, uh, like I said with Shadir, I mean, there are a lot of kids out there that uh, you know are in need of, of assistance, and um, you know, it's it's so great to have so many community organizations like the KWYBA and uh, you know Kitchener Minor Hockey and you know other minor programs that. Um, mm-hmm. allow these kids to be part of something. I actually just got an email uh, yesterday from a friend of mine who's trying to start a uh, junior uh, golf, uh, like a house league golf uh, league for, for kids in the area. And what's that um, called? 
Oh. Or development stages, maybe. I did, yeah, I just got the email yesterday, so I'm not sure what it's called. Um, All right, well, it, if you it, want to get it, back it, to me, I can put that in the description as well. It's actually run through Gulf North. So if you, um, and, and Darren Daglar is uh, the guy that's sort of heading it up. Um, uh, old friend of mine from Forest Heights who actually played basketball with me, and he's got a son that's heavily involved in golf. So um, I'm hoping a lot of kids might might jump at that opportunity and, and get involved and and maybe golf will be a sport that, that they take to and, you know, um, develop a love for. And certainly that's something that I've, I've developed a love for over the years as well. And, and I think it teaches a lot of uh, really valuable le- uh, life lessons playing golf, whether it be patience and honesty and um, sportsmanship and that kind of thing. So that would be a great program for anybody to get involved in, uh, but just all the local sports uh, opportunities here. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of bursaries and, and financial aid out there for, for kids that um, otherwise maybe can't afford it. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, uh, anybody still around? Thanks for checking this out. <laughs> I've had a blast. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the yeah. kind words. And yeah, have a good day, guys. Hey, and shout out to all the uh, former West Heights Warriors out there that might be listening. I, you know, I, I, I love you guys. <laughs> all right. All Peace. Right.